Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. What does Jesus teach us about money? Well, on today's program, we continue our series, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached with Dr. John Newfeld. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, as we study a message on wise financial management. I have, through most of my life, struggled with my weight. I have many times thought, I wish my problem were simple, like alcohol or tobacco. I'd just go cold turkey. I'd grit my teeth and stay away from it entirely. But what can I do about food? I I still have to eat. A little less, I know. But that's just like teasing myself with food. No easy task. Money is like that. It is needed for living. But it can also kill you. According to 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's caused some to abandon the faith, and it has wounded many people with all kinds of misery. And you need it just to survive. Lee Iacocca once said, be careful around money. When you have $5,000, you'll want $10,000. When you have $10,000, you'll want $20,000. John Rockefeller was once asked, how much money does it take to satisfy a man completely? And he responded, takes a little more than he presently has. See, that's the misery of this thing called money. Many of us are aware that Jesus spent more time talking about money than pretty well any other theme. 16 of his 33 parables center on money, and a great many of his encounters with people are around money. I think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, or the rich young ruler. These are stories most of us remember, and money is at the center. And so it comes as no surprise as Jesus is preaching this, the the greatest sermon ever preached, where he describes how to live life in the kingdom, where he covers every topic from anger to lust to divorce to loving your enemies and to prayer, that he now comes to speak about money. Let's hear what he has to say in, in Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now those are powerful words, but we wonder, are those words realistic? Look at it again, first half of verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Are we to assume that we are to have no savings account or no retirement incomes, no no life insurance policies, no home ownership, no, no other investment? Because if that's the case, we're all out of sorts with Jesus today. Now, before we attempt to answer that, let's lay down the theme for today's message. What Jesus is talking about is wise financial management, the kind that is befitting of one of his disciples. But what kind of financial manager teaches us not to make investments? Well, he is telling us to make investments, but not where we have been making them. Don't invest in this earth. It's passing away. The advent of the kingdom of heaven means that the kingdoms of this earth are passing away. Hence, to invest in this present age, well, it's a bad risk. But let's put this into context. 
Remember that Jesus already told us, according to chapter 5, verse 17, that he had not come to overthrow the Old Testament. And as you might know, there is a great deal in the Old Testament about wise use of money. One of the first of these that comes to mind is in the book of Genesis in the story of Joseph. You'll remember that Joseph, very wisely led by God, saved up grain for seven years, making sure that when the seven years of famine arrived in Egypt, there'd be more than enough for everyone. And that's a key example of using your money wisely for future eventualities. That means that for seven years, Joseph stored up wealth on earth. Was he sinning? No. He was obeying God. Or consider Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so when it's summer, that's the time to work, so that when winter comes, there will be plenty. Invest now. Store up for the time when you can't do so. Or consider Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. That's not just a statement of fact. That's an encouragement to learn wisdom in increasing your money, not by big risks, but by a lifetime of careful investments in this earth. You know, these kinds of themes are carried on into the New Testament. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, we should be providing financial resources. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 14 even encourages parents to save up for their children. So let's get back to Jesus. Don't lay up treasures on earth. What could he have meant? Well, let's pay close attention. Let's begin by noticing what happens to all the treasures we store up on earth. Answer, none of them lasts. In the time of Jesus, wealth was often measured in terms of precious metals and expensive fabrics. But Jesus knew about a tiny little insect that would lay unseen eggs into wool, and at the larval stage, it would feed on the cloth and utterly destroy it, leaving it useless. You could invest in rich fabric, getting nothing in the end. In the same way, today, you can invest in beachfront property and a tsunami might come and wipe off that piece of land from the earth. Online thieves or scam artists like Bernie Madoff, other things happen. And a lifetime of investing in this earth is sometimes lost. Jesus is saying all your earthly investments are bad ones because none of them lasts. Some of you read the very excellent biography of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. Dietrich's father, Karl, was the head of psychiatry at the University of Berlin. Metaxas reports that he spent a lifetime paying into a retirement fund only to see in the 1920s runaway inflation in Germany render his lifetime of work and savings to be utterly lost. In the end, inflation was so bad that all he could buy for everything he had saved for a lifetime was one bottle of wine and a few fresh strawberries. With that, everything he had worked for was gone. Can that happen in our day? Well, yeah, it does. Whether it's a worldwide depression or a reversal in fortune or our own death, none of the earthly investments last. Earth offers no lasting security. 
See, when Jesus says, do not lay treasures on earth, he's not contradicting the Old Testament counsel of wise financial management. Rather, he is saying that one ought not to set one's affections here, on this earth, in this era. For to set one's heart on this earth is to show a lack of interest in the kingdom to come. All earth's investments are unsafe. There was a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation program, Dragon's Den. It used to star a man who became famous for saying two things. First, he would say, it's about the money. That was the driving motivation in his life. And second was when he said that the only two ethics he had when it came to investment was first, is it legal? And second, will it make even more money? And here's the problem with that mindset. Jesus said, What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? When we die, which comes sometimes suddenly and unexpectedly, and when Jesus comes again, all the work of a lifetime of investing, like Karl Bonhoeffer's lifetime of investing, except in eternity, your lifetime funds won't buy you a bottle of wine and a bowl of strawberries. You will die and you will keep nothing. When Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, he meant it. He doesn't mean don't take care of life's eventualities as best as possible, even though doing so might not work out. He means don't look for the earth to bring you your reward. The earth only brings loss in the end. All things invested in this earth are destined to perish. In contrast, here is where safe investments are found. They are found in heaven. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And here's the point. You can invest in treasure that will never pass away. Here's how we invest. You can invest in gospel advancement, in ministry to the poor in the name of Jesus, in ensuring that the gospel is preached, in missions in your local church. Invest in these. And as 1 Timothy 6.19 says to those with money, they ought to be ready to share their money. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves, says 1 Timothy, as a good foundation for the future. In other words, you can take it with you, but you have to send it on ahead. Invest in the advancement of the kingdom, and that investment pays eternal dividends. I think a great many of us have difficulty imagining that. But those who hoard their investments in this life will lose it all in the end. What is our attitude towards money and investments? When we return, Dr. Neufeld continues to discuss the radical implications of being people who invest our hearts in what really matters. In these challenging days, there are so many voices calling for our attention, but nothing is more essential than allowing our Bibles to speak to our lives and to be the compass that guides our choices and decisions. Psalm 119.105 reminds us, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Throughout 2021, we pray that the Bible would be your compass, guiding, encouraging, even challenging you in your walk with Jesus. Every resource we create and share with you is designed for that purpose, a trusted guide for your daily walk with Jesus. So tune in every weekday on this station or visit us online to discover all the different opportunities to access all the free Bible teaching resources available to you. So for more information, visit us at backtothebible.ca 
or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Listen again to the words of Jesus in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's be clear about what Jesus is saying. Find out where your heart is invested. Find out what you love the most. And then, surprise, surprise, you will find that this is the very place where you have invested your money. Your heart's investment and your financial investments always line up exactly. I was mentioning a very popular Canadian television program featuring financial investments in which the star of the program constantly said, it's about the money. For followers of Jesus, it's never about the money. It's about Jesus. It's about his gospel. It's about the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. Now to verses 22 to 23. Here we have an image, an analogy. The eye is the lamp of the body. But what does that mean? I know this is a very different image than we're used to, but think about it. Imagine your eye as a lamp, and imagine the inside of your body as a dark place, a cave, for instance. If the lamp works, it will light the inside of your dark body. Because you have light, the body can direct itself and can avoid stumbling and falling in ruin. But if the lamp doesn't work well, then the body is left in darkness, and it can be headed for disaster, and that's the image. So if your heart is set on earthly treasure, you're like a blind man stumbling forward, not recognizing the disaster that lies ahead. But if your heart is set on heavenly treasure, you're like a seeing man, able to discern what's out there and make good decisions. That's the analogy. So at the outset, Jesus is encouraging us to make good investments, investments in heaven. But he then adds, all this depends on whether or not you can see the value of the heavenly investment. If you are blind to the value of heavenly investments, you will never make investments there. You see, perspective, it's everything. How clearly do you see the long term? How clearly do you see the long-term consequences of everyday choices that you make when it comes to your money? How many of us see that we are now making investments either in a world that is fading away or in a world that's eternal? If we can't see this, how great is the darkness we live in? Now to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, this verse is perhaps the least believed verse in the entire Bible. Two reasons for that. The first is that we're serving a master. It may be God or it may be money, but it is servitude. And the second is that we are not in leadership in our lives. We are in servitude. I know it's hard to fathom because we think that money is serving us. Of course, we don't think that about God. We think we're serving him. But the idea that we might be in slavery to money is an idea that almost everyone rejects. We might see it in some extreme cases, but it's certainly not true of us, we tell ourselves. I would bet today that there are precious few who would argue, I'm enslaved to money. I mean, contrast that to drugs or, or sex or bad habits. A lot of people say, I'm mastered by alcohol or pornography or violence. Well, you name it. But I'm mastered by money and can't get free? Well, I've never heard anyone say that. 
See, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It only means we're blind to our own servitude. Now, I suspect most of us will fall into two categories here, or one of two categories here. Some of us will say, ah, this is about the rich with their expensive toys. Good on you, Jesus. Go and get them. But you're not worried. This is about others. The other is the view that, really, Jesus is not addressing riches at all, only our attitude to them. And you also assume you can have riches, but you just have to have the right attitude. What we seem to forget is that this text is really about serving the right master, for you can only have one master. What Jesus doesn't want is for you to discount him, but to take him very seriously. Since God and money are not our employers, but our slave masters, there should be a way of testing whom am I serving? See, this is not an exercise in engaging how large or small our bank account is, but rather where our heart is. So how do we find that out? Well, I'm going to give a series of five tests or five questions that demand answers. Here's question number one. What are your commitments? So for instance, what's the difference between your job and your faith? I mean, when you're tired or lacking enthusiasm, which do you skip? Well, you might say, I can't skip my work. It's my livelihood. Yeah, that's, that's the issue. What do you see as essential and what do you see as not essential? Be honest. Identify which things in your life demand your full commitment and which are the things that you play at, meaning that you can leave them at any time. That's where your heart is, okay? That was tough. Let's move forward. Question number two. What's your attitude towards giving? When it comes to giving to the Lord, what is it that you offer Him? Is it your first fruit or is it your leftover? See, when you give your first fruit, you give Him your best. And when you give your leftovers, you give what's left over. Where's your heart? Wow. Question two was tough. Let's get tougher. Question three. What's your attitude toward buying? When you buy something, and we all need to buy things, is your first question, can I afford this? Or is your first question, does it bring glory to God? Now, that one challenges all of us. See, some of us just can't stop buying because we're addicted to the world's things. Your indebtedness is growing because you can't stop spending and wanting. See, you love this world. What's your attitude to buying? Does it not show us where our heart is? Now, here's the next question. Question number four, what's your attitude towards saving? See, please notice that saving can be good or it can be evil. You can be saving to be wise regarding retirement or of expenses and other things that you can see coming up in the future. That's simply called wise financial management of God's resources in your life. But what if you're saving and you don't know how much you need? For instance, for retirement, how much do you need? Why do you need that much? Will it glorify God? Let's say you can answer those questions, and indeed it is glorifying to God. That's good. But let's say that you never have enough. There is no number that you have in mind. All you have in mind is an ever larger pile. You see, you can't seem to have enough, and so you're constantly striving to get more. Your treasure is therefore in this earth. What if Jesus asked you to give it all away? Could you do it? Now, one final question. What's your attitude toward the morality of money? 
So let me ask you, if money is involved in a moral decision, does the presence of money make your decision harder or easier? What if doing the right thing costs you not just a few dollars, like declaring what you purchased when you crossed the border or declaring what you earned when you fill out your taxes? But what if doing the right thing was going to cost you perhaps as much as one half of all you presently own? Would you still do the right thing? Because if you wouldn't, your whole body is full of darkness. You're stumbling along, not knowing that you're going to lose 100% of all you have. Listen, don't you see you have a master, and that master could be money. And if that master owns you, that's why you can't serve God. See, I once stood at the, the bedside of a dying man who told me he was going to make his fortune, and then he was going to serve God. And then he became very suddenly and unexpectedly ill. And as I stood beside his dying bed, tears of grief were flowing down his face. He told me, I've wasted everything, and now I'm going to stand before God, having served money all my life. You remember Lot? He invested in farmland around the Jordan. The land belonged to Abraham, but he bought it and lost it all. Remember Achan? He invested in a beautiful Babylonian robe and five pounds of silver and a wedge of gold. Cost him his life. Remember Solomon? He invested in chariots and wives and political alliances and statues to foreign gods. It cost him the future of a kingdom. Remember Gehazi? He invested in 150 pounds of silver, and he was cursed with leprosy. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, the list is long and not short. So where's your heart? Only you can answer. But now Jesus has given you enough information that you will always know, and you can always turn to him. It's clear that we are all called to be wise financial stewards of whatever God has given us, whether it's a lot or a little. But in our study, we've discovered that Jesus gets to see the heart of the issue about money, which is examining where our hearts are invested. Do we have the right perspective? Are we serving God or money? These are difficult questions, but they are critical to reflect upon in this discussion because, in a sense, it reveals something about our spiritual lives as well. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. And be sure to listen again tomorrow as Dr. Newfeld walks through Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34 in our series, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. As we enter a new year, we want to begin by expressing a sincere thank you to all those who so graciously supported Back to the Bible Canada's year-end ministry campaign. Your gift in December was critical to launching the ministry into the new year, sustaining our Bible teaching resources, and providing a springboard for new and innovative opportunities. So on behalf of Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, In Doubt, and the entire Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, thank you. What you do is essential to the mission of this organization. As we enter a new year, please continue to pray for this ministry. 
And if Back to the Bible Canada is an important part of your spiritual walk with Jesus, and you believe in the mission of Bible teaching, please consider continuing your financial support or becoming a monthly partner. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.